Good morning, all. Good morning. Praise God for the worship. So if you're wondering why I'm up here, um, Ben gave me a text on, I think it was Saturday last week, and said he had to go in for a COVID test. And if he didn't get the results, could you be on standby? So uh, I love, love those texts on Saturday morning <laughs> when I've got tons of things to do on Saturday. So thanks, Ben, for that. Um, but afterwards, I did prepare. I basically just prepared what I had done on Wednesday night. And I did say to Ben on Sunday, listen, um, I'm happy to take next week and you can take a little bit of a breather. And sure enough, uh, I got sick and my rest of my family got sick the next day. And, and I heard the Grisés were all sick. So I said, Ben, you can spend some time with your lovely wife. And he did, sick together. So it was great. So well done, Ben. Um, but I started feeling better by, by Thursday. So uh, um, we're okay. We had the, had the COVID test and it's all negative. So um, you're all okay. All right. So make sure I'm doing my civic duty. Um, we're going to be going through uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, but we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 1 and 2. We'll just give you a little bit of overview and lead into what um, we're going to be talking about today. Um, the Apostle Peter, uh, let me just pray beforehand, even though uh, um, Ian did pray, I think it's important that we do pray. So Father, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus and just the abundant grace and mercy you pour upon our lives, Lord, um, where you are so, so good. And uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you come in this morning, help us, lead us, and help us take the things in and, and apply these things to our lives. Uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so Peter writes two epistles that we have in the, in the scriptures. The first epistle that he writes is about problems that the church will face from outside, okay? Then he later on, he goes, writes a second epistle, and the second epistle is about some of the issues and problems that we'll have to deal with that will arise inside the church. And we don't like the problems that happen inside the church. Outside, we're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But inside, it's like, well, why is this happening? It happens because we're sinners and we're knuckleheads. And some are more knuckleheads than others, okay? I'm probably in the latter part, by the way. But the main way to get back to being right is to get back to the description of what he says. So let's look at uh, um, 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to touch on a couple of verses. The first is chapter 1, and we'll do uh, verses 2 and 3 just to give a, a lead into this. So he writes, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And I wanted to touch on these two verses because he starts out and says, listen, grace and peace are going to be multiplied to you in something. And it's in the knowledge of of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about not just knowing about him, but experience him in our lives. And that's what Peter's prayer was, that this stuff would be multiplied, this knowledge of him. And it's so important to be in the scriptures, to know what he's like, 
to know how he deals with people, to know how he's going to deal with me and how he's going to deal with you. And as we experience him, to know, is that God or is that not God? And so Peter's prayer is that this would be multiplied. In verse 3, he tells us, we're given power pertaining to life and godliness, to how to live, how to live correctly. And it tells us it's through the knowledge of him. It's not through your own efforts of trying to be better and all this stuff. It's about knowing him more. He's the number one thing that we need to grab onto. You get to know him more, you live better. You live right. And when we get away from him, we start doing things that that aren't pleasing to us, that aren't pleasing to him. Later on in the chapter, we're going to go to... um, 1 Peter 15 through 19. And I'll just touch on this. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were I witnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter tells them, I'm going to remind you of things, and we need reminders. I think I was talking last week to um, someone, and we said, we, we remember the things we don't want to remember, and we forget the things we do. I mean, that's just how we are. And that's why it's so important to be in the Scriptures, to come to church, to come to study, to have your own personal time, because you need reminders. If you get away from this, you will start forgetting this, you know? He said, I'm going to get a reminder, and I'm going to remind you of something. In verse 16, that Jesus Christ actually came, the Messiah arrived. And Peter wanted them to know this, and he says, I, I, I witnessed this. But not only that, verse 17 is confirmed because God says, this is him, this him. The scriptures have all been leading up. The time is now fulfilled. He's here. He's arrived. It's him. And so verse 19 then tells us, and this is so important, and this is so important to understand because this is what gives us so much confidence. It says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. God tells us ahead of time, prophecies, what is going to happen. Like in the Old Testament, there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus, that a Messiah is going to come, and when he comes, this is what he's going to do. And we have the prophetic word confirmed because he did come, he fulfilled all of them. I think in my study a couple weeks ago, we were talking about um, the probabilities of eight of the 300 being fulfilled by one person. It's just ridiculous. And then you get to 16. Then you get to, like, the odds of him fulfilling all 300 would be like packing the universe 
with coins and having one coin marked as the right one. And then we take a spaceship out in space and you go out in the first try, you go, got it. Like this is from the sun to like, it's impossible. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And we have the prophetic word confirmed that God's word is true. He came, the, the prophecy said he would come. God the Father said, this is him. He's here. He's arrived. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And that's how you can, you can really stand on what the scriptures tell us. And you can, you can trust it for everything, for godliness. In verse uh, chapter 2, he goes on to tell us something that we should all be aware of. Verse 1 of chapter 2, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. You know, Peter and Paul and the rest of these guys, they go around the churches and they, they would first establish them and teach them, but there was always false prophets around. Even in the old days when you had Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these guys, even though they were telling God's truth, there was also other people misleading people. And he says, listen, there were false prophets among the people then, and guess what? There are false prophets among the people of Peter's day, and there are false prophets among us today. And he wants us to be aware of this. And we're going to get into chapter 3 about why you need to be aware of this. But before we do that, we'll go to one more verse in chapter 2, and it's verse 13. And this is about the false prophets, because he talks about the false prophets a lot in these two, two or three chapters of Second Peter. And these prophets, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Peter writes that these people will be with his listeners. They will be amongst his church. They will be in their group. And so we can expect that to be among us and be among the group or the church worldwide. They're among us. Be careful. Like this, you go, wow, this is, church should be a really safe place where I learn, you know, and it should be. But we need to be aware that there can be things that come, people who come and try and distract us. And distracting us away from, if you look at the, what we taught in the beginning of the book, the knowledge of Him. Knowing Him and experiencing Him in our lives. Now let's get to the chapter that we want, we're going to look at all in, in, in total. So 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll start with verse 1 to 4. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter finishes his second letter. And he's going to start touching on the return of Jesus Christ. Because it's something that the world and the church has an issue with. But I, I, I'm amazed because I, I read the New Testament and just about every single book touches on the return of Jesus Christ in one way or another. It's, it's like, it's uncanny. And it's like he's coming back. But in verse 1, he tells us this. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you again and again and again. So obviously, when Peter met these people, he would talk about this. And he would tell them. Now, he's going to, I'm going to give you a reminder. I'm going to write this reminder. We have reminders continually that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for me. He's coming back for you. He's coming back to judge the world. And we're going to see what the sort of the attitude. You look at the attitude in this and you think, this is what people might be saying outside, but this is really a book about what's happening inside the church. That people go, well, where's his return? You know, what are you talking about? So it says in verse 1, I want to remind, I want to stir up your pure minds. The only way you can ever have a pure mind is through Christ. Believers are the ones who can have the pure minds. Talking to a non-believer, it doesn't, it, it, there is no purity there. I've been that place for 29 years of my life. It, it, it wasn't there. But when I became a Christian, the pure mind of Christ is in me. Yeah, there's a battle that goes on, okay? And, and you'll learn that as we go through scriptures. But the pure mind, he wants to stir it up. And in verse 2, he says, What he's going to remind us of. I want to remind you of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. So obviously when Peter went to these churches, he would talk about Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and all the prophets. Basically, he's talking about the Old Testament. All the words which are there. I want to remind you of them. I also remind you of something else. Of the commandment of us. Peter knew that what he was teaching was pure and it was right. He understood that the things that he wrote and the things that he said, because he says the apostles of the Lord. So what the apostles' teaching was and the teaching of the prophets, he wants to remind because they both work together. They work and they're truth. They are words that are true and they are the truth. Put them together, that's what we have, that's what we call the scriptures. It's the truth. I want to remind you of these things. They were spoken by the holy prophets and us, the apostles. The rest of this chapter is going to deal with the return of Jesus. Verse 3. That scoffers will come in the last days. Now, obviously, everybody who had written had read this initial letter 2,000 years ago. They're long gone. He wanted to remind them. It could have happened. Jesus could have happened then. He could have returned then. He can return today. He can return. 
But scoffers, mockers will come. And this can happen outside the church. It can happen inside the church. And the scoffers, what, they, what they're basing upon is their own lust, their own opinions of things, not the opinions of what the Old Testament writers wrote and what the New Testament writers wrote. They wrote, he's coming back. And some of us are going, I cannot wait for that moment. Cannot wait. Everybody in here should be, I cannot wait. Because what we have here is nothing compared to what's coming. It is going to be unreal. I don't even think, I think it'll take an eternity just to turn to someone and say, it's so great because you will be look focused on what you're seeing and what, who he is. It's going to be that good. So they, they walk and they say this in verse 4. Where's the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. What they're saying is everything's the same. Nothing changes. Time goes on. Like, what are you talking about? People have, Peter wrote about the return of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And here we are, and he still hasn't come back. Like, that's a long time. I've been alive for 54 years. 2,000 is a long time. But the scriptures say it's true. He's coming back. And everything just continues as it is. Why should I be looking? Why should we be looking for the return of Jesus? He gives us some answers in verse 5 through 7, but he also gives us some answers in 8 and 9. But let's take a look at some of these answers because this is how we understand more of God. We understand more of God in how he's dealing with all the world and also how he's dealing with us. 5 through 7. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Peter reminds us that those who have this mindset that Jesus isn't coming back because all things continue. Like since creation, since the world was created, day after day after day after day after day after day after day goes on. Nothing changes. Because you can have this thought because I just live in a, in a finite, let's say, 70 to 90 year period that one of my experiences, sun comes up, sun goes down, sun comes up, sun goes down. We have this ability to not realize that God can actually intercede in the world. But he tells us in verse 5 that they forget this. Number one, it's the word of God. At the beginning of creation, see the things that we see like the earth and all these things, they haven't always existed. God just said, let it be, bang, it was here. It happened. He interceded in time and said, I'm creating this. Then, 
he does something in verse 6. The world that was created, all of a sudden, one day, it was flooded. At some point in time, we read in Genesis that God had had enough of the sin. And he just decided to intercede in time and went, rain. Before then, it, wasn't, it never existed. It wasn't here. It didn't come. And even that we read in, in Genesis where Noah starts building this ark. And people are like, what are you building this ark for? I mean, this is a joke. And the, you know what the mind thought was? Everything continues as it always has. I wake up. I go to work. I do whatever. I go hunting. And the sun goes down. I go to sleep. And over and over and over again. So Noah builds this thing for 100 years. And they're going, nothing's going to change. But they forget that a flood did come. And, it, and you know, it's amazing that just about every culture in the world has, a, has a, a story about the world being flooded. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But the world, and yet look at the evidence of, uh, like, uh, I, I always go back to, I went to the Grand Canyon when I was younger, and you look at it going, this makes sense that a flood came through here. This just makes sense. You look at it. Unreal. At the time, I went when I wasn't a believer. But once you become a believer, you're like, this, is, this makes sense. This makes sense. And there's plenty of evidence for it. But people forget that God intercedes in time. And I want to remind you guys that whatever happens, and you think, oh, you know, life goes on, and this, God can intercede at any point in your life and change something. And he did it here. But he tells us, Peter tells us in 5 and 6 that they willfully forget they don't want to look at it. And then he tells us in verse 7, he's going to intercede again. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the word of God is holding things, and the word of God will then say, enough. Just like he said, let there be light. Just like he said, flood. He intercedes. It's the word. Once his word is given, that's it. That's power. That's real power. And again, we see that it's reserved for fire. The flood was the first time, the fire is the second time. So you might say, well, why so long? Well, Peter then jumps to the answer for that as well. Why is it taking so long? Why 2,000 years? Verse 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is a verse that you should memorize. You should know this one, because this gives you real hope. This gives you real hope. That's verse 9. We're going to look at verse 8 first. Verse 8, do not forget this one thing. The, for the Lord, a thousand, year, a thousand years one day, it makes no difference. He's outside of time. He is not constrained by 24-hour cycles, years, 365 days in a year. He's outside of time. He existed before the world was created and the sun 
And the days go down and, you know, day and light and all this other, day and night and all this other stuff. He's outside of time. Don't forget this. He can do anything. And it says in verse, like, so it's been 2,000 years. To him, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. But we're defined by time. I have a, a finite amount of time on earth. He doesn't have, it's nothing to him. Time is nothing to him. And then verse 9, it says, nuts. He's not slack. He's not slack concerning his promise. His promise is, Jesus is coming back. That's a promise. He's not slack. And then he tells us why. Because he's long-suffering. He's long-suffering towards who? He's long-suffering towards us. Well, that's a bit bizarre. He said, they're going, well, shouldn't it be for the people who don't know him? That's a bit bizarre. So he's long-suffering towards us for, I think, a couple of reasons. One is, it could be for all of mankind to come. It could also be for us to get involved and be witnessing, to get the message out because he can change lives. My life changed like that one day. I did not know God. I knew God. Like I'm sitting there telling you, I was not sitting there contemplating, you know, is he real? Is he not? I was not thinking God. I wasn't. He changes things like that. And your family members, your workmates, your neighbors, don't think. They could be off thinking that you go, that person is never. Baloney. That's not true. Because God loves us. He loves all of mankind. Look at the end of verse 9 here. You need to realize this. Memorize this. He is not willing. This means this is his will. This is God. And sometimes you, you, you go through life and you're like, you know, what's God's will for my life? You know, what's God's will for this? And, you do, and we all struggle with this. I do. And I'm sure you do. What is, what is the plan here? What does God want me to do? Show of hands so if anybody said, going, what, what do you think? What does God want me to do? I mean, it, it's a question we have all the time. Here's the will of God right here, that none, that all should come to repentance. His will is everybody comes to repentance. That day was like 25 years ago for me. That was the day. The day could be tomorrow for anybody you know who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It could be. That's his will. You can pray with total confidence, God, it is your will that all come to repentance and the knowledge of you. So I'm praying for that person. There are certain people I pray for all the time who don't know Jesus. I've been doing it for a couple of years. And there are some other people I've been doing it for years upon years. You know why? Because that's his will. And God's not sitting there going, well, you know, I'm not sure. No. His will so he is working in their life to give them every opportunity to come. Why wouldn't he? Because that's who he is. He did it for me. He does it for you.
At some point in time, you came to the knowledge of him. And if you're in this room and you do not know Jesus, today is the day of salvation for you. Let's look at these verses here. In this, it says all. So you know who that is? That's all. That's you. That's you. All. Then his will is that all would come. It's a Greek word that means to make room for, to give place. And before we know Jesus, the room in our heart is for us. It's our pride. And you need to move that out of the way and make room for him. To allow him, make room for him to come in. And then it says that all would make room for this Ten-letter word, repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. To change your mind about your pride and to change the mind about Jesus. Change your mind. It's repentance is 180 degrees. I was going to say 360. That would be really stupid because you go back to where you were. But it's 180 degrees. Changing your mind about Jesus, who he really is. Repentance. Make room for and let him in. That's what his will is for every single person in the world. Every single person. And that the simple fact of the matter is Jesus Christ died on a cross for everything that I've done wrong, everything that you've done wrong, because he wants us in heaven. He wants us to know him. He wants to help us. You know how many times I've heard in the last few weeks, I don't know how someone gets along without Jesus Christ. And it's so true. People don't. They struggle so much. We struggle when we know Him. But He wants to help every person on earth. That's what He's like. That's what God's like. So we move to verse 10. We talk about this return of Jesus Christ. So the mindset of many is, he's not coming back 2,000 years, the return of Jesus Christ. This is ridiculous. You've been talking about this for years. It's not going to happen. In verse 10, he says, but, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, I want to just talk about the different concepts of the return or the days that we see in Scripture. We have three basic ideas. You have the day of the Lord, you have the day of God, and you have the day of Christ. Okay? The day of the Lord is the time when Jesus Christ comes back takes his church, there's judgment, and finally ends when Jesus starts to reign on earth, okay? There's the day of God, and that's always pictured, and we'll see it in verse 12, it's always pictured as a, a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where there is no 
There is no nonsense. I'll just call it nonsense. Okay? Everything's as God wants it to be. And then you have the day of Christ, and that's the day when the rapture happens. So when you see these different terms, just go, okay, what's this all about? All right? So it tells us the day of the Lord will happen. So the day of the Lord, we see often all around Scripture is the day when that, that time of tribulation comes, the time of judgment, all right? So it's going to come, and there is no doubt about it. He says, but it will come. It's coming. It's been delayed for a long time. We see one of the reasons why is because of his desire that all people be saved. He said, how is it going to come? Well, it's going to come as a thief in the night. Jesus said the same sort of thing in Matthew 24, 42. It says, what's there for? For you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not know. We don't know. It's like a... It, we don't. Jesus said it, it's coming unexpectedly. Peter says the same thing. He is... The day is coming like a thief in the night. You don't know. A thief doesn't come with lights shining and, uh, you know, sirens blaring. I'm coming to break into your house. No, they're quiet. You don't expect them. Then he tells us a little bit about the heavens passing away. I think this is more of a general term because he's talking about the creation, the flood, the return, and then ultimately God takes care of this earth and we get a new heavens and a new earth. But the one thing we need to know here is that he is coming back. There's no doubt about it. So what should this truth do for us? How do we apply this? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked because Peter tells us what to do because so often we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But the amazing thing about God and the scriptures and he uses these men to write these marvelous letters, it tells us what to do. It doesn't say be perfect. It just tells, gives you instructions how to live, how to go about this. Verse 11 through 13. Therefore, well, the therefore is because he's coming back. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So he says, what, what manner of person? That's a strange word. What manner of person? The word manner is a Greek word. And it means to be a foreigner out of this world. Be totally different. What kind of foreign person should you be? You should be different. In Holy conduct, so he describes it as holy. So the conduct, how you live your life, it should be holy. Holy means to be separate. It means to be apart. 
And if you were in my study for First Thessal, uh, First uh, Peter, being apart means being with Him. That's how we can become separated to Him. And that's how your conduct is led. Not by how I have to do this. No, you become separate with Him and let Him now guide your life and your decisions. And godliness, things that are going to please God. And we learn how to please God by learning what His Scriptures tell us. So what should our conduct and how should we live our lives be when, in verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. This is one of really bizarre scripture here. Really strange. So we're, number one, we're looking for. That means we're expectant. That means we're focused on him. Our focus is on Jesus. Now I'm going to have a quick talk about this because I'm going to remind you of this because Peter reminds you of this and any good teacher should be reminding us of things. Our focus should be on Jesus. And when it's not, that's when you get sidetracked. Like if my focus is on how much work I got to do, or I've got to wake up at 6 o'clock and go to work, or my focus is on, oh my goodness, there's COVID outbreaks again, or my focus is on, the NBA playoffs, which I get focused on that. I mean, uh, that's just part of who I am. But if my total focus is that, I'm focused on, you know, why can't Ben Simmons hit a free throw, you know? It drives you nuts. But that clouds everything in my brain. And you go back, get your focus. If my focus is back on him, gee, life is so much better. And I'm calmer because that's who he is we can actually be part of the divine nature by His promises, about trusting Him. So I make that point, because I want to remind you guys, get your focus back on Him, not on the problems. Everybody's got problems. I've probably got more problems than most of you guys. But everybody's got them. But you keep your focus on Him, it's a, it's a much better thing to look at. It, it, he is so much better, so much better. I got one amen here. There you go. I'm sure I've got more silent. They got the silent amens. Um, where were we? Okay. Um, looking for. So we're, we're looking for the coming of the day of God, and we're also hastening it. How on earth can I hasten or quicken this? How can, how can that possibly be? That's a really strange thing. Like, I can have a part of this? And God's saying, yes. You see, God always wants us to be part of what he's doing. If you think about it simplistically, when Jesus taught that the Father's in me, and I in him, and you in me, we're one in a, in a really weird way. We should be together. He wants us, number one, we should be praying we should be praying. Jesus taught us in, the, in the, um, uh, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. Like, that's simple. Yeah, everybody gets that, right? You pray, Lord, your kingdom comes. That means, God, bring it. Come on. 
your right, we want your righteousness. We want it, it to be, we want you to rule. That's a good prayer. Jesus actually told us to pray that. So we're doing that. Also, we're told in Scripture that he has desire that everyone to be saved, and he's waiting for the completion of the Gentiles. We're, we're the Gentiles. I wasn't, I'm not Jewish in any way, shape, or form, except for I'm grafted in. That's a totally different subject, and we'll get into that one day. Maybe, maybe that could be Ben's next week. Just lead him in there, him there. But as we pray for people to be saved, and God's prompting people, we could very well be hastening or quickening the day of God. That doesn't mean there is, there is some side crazy things about ushering in the kingdom of God here on earth, but I, I just don't see it in any scriptures. I, I just don't. You can ha- Again, you can have crazy ideas, which we're going to talk about in the next few verses, but it's got to be based on what God says. Um. Verse 13, nevertheless, we look for this promise of a new heaven and a new earth. How good is that time going to be when God's righteousness dwells? Like there's no nonsense. I cannot wait that my nature will be changed, that I'll have no nonsense in his world because he's doing that work and there's nothing around me that's going to do that as well. Okay, let's finish off, 14 through 16. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him by peace, oh, in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all the epistles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. That's an understatement. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So verse 14, we again should be looking forward to this and we should be diligent. As you keep your focus on the Lord, we will be diligent. And the only way to be found by him in peace is it's him. It's him himself. And he's the one who makes us without spot and blameless. And I love that. That is just amazing. We receive everything through him. Verse 15, it tells us that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why is taking so long? Because God wants to save people. And if you don't know Jesus, today's the day of salvation for you. Today is you. Don't turn your back on him. He also now talks about Paul. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who Paul is the guy who came up to Peter when Peter was in a church doing the wrong stuff, and he confronted him and said, in front of people, you're doing the wrong thing. That's always a nice thing to say. You know, how would you like it if I pinpointed you right now and said, you're wrong, and you need to tell everybody you're sorry? You know, you go like, I don't want that, you know? But it was so, it was so against what God is like 
and what Jesus had done, he had to address it. And so later on we see in Peter's life, he, he, calls him, he calls Paul beloved. Gee, what forgiveness that is. You can see how much time he spent with the Lord to call him beloved. He calls him a brother. They're in it together. He understood the focus was Jesus. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And also he realized that Paul also wrote to the Galatians. And I think this is probably referring to the book of Galatians because Peter writes in the first chapter of chapter 1, he's, okay, I'm going to write to a group of areas and Galatia was one of them. The book of Galatians could have been that letter he was talking about. How lucky, how awesome. Think about this. They got letters from Paul, they got letters from Peter. We get all of them. We get all of them. How lucky and blessed are you? We get all of them. Verse 16, he talks about Paul in all of his apostles speaking of things about salvation, of which things are hard to understand. Some of the things that Paul writes, you go, what on earth are you talking about, man? This is hard. It's hard. Even for people who know the scriptures, they can be difficult. You know, like things like, you know, you cannot lose your salvation. And yet in another book, it says you can lose your salvation. Uh, but they're both true. But they're both true. I don't get it. Like things like Paul would write, say, work out your salvation. Are you telling me I've got to work my tail off to get salvation? The answer is no, but you've you got to realize that all these things. In, but you can read that. I can sit there, I can read this thing and say, work out your salvation and get people to, to be motivated to go do things. You can. And he says in this, untaught and unstable people twist it to their own destruction. You're twisting it. Jesus never sat there and said, I want you to go do this, do this, do this, do this. He wasn't, he wasn't like that. He's kind and gentle. He's so, he's so what I need every day. Kind and gentle. He, uh, he, he, but unfortunately, people can take the scriptures and they can twist them, so be very careful, Okay? And it says, also, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. They took what Peter wrote, they took what Peter, Paul wrote, and they, took, they can take everything and twist it. Don't worry. Verse 18 really gives us a lot of glimpse of insight of what he's really like. But before then, you got chapter, verse 17. Now, I purposely didn't do something. And I want to go back and review a couple things, but I'll read verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of, wicked, of the wicked. So there's a possibility that people, you and me, can be led astray. He says, just beware of this. Four times... Four verses 
In this chapter, he uses the word beloved. We're going to go through every single one of them because they're so important. Verse 1. And I want you to look in your Bibles yourself because I purposely didn't tell these guys in my thing not to do this. Because I think it's so important to look. And I've got about a couple more minutes to go. Verse 1. Beloved. There's a reason he puts this word in there. Beloved, I stir up your minds. Verse 2, be mindful. We are to be mindful of things. Not mindless, but be mindful of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the words that are written. Be mindful of them. Be, in, be aware of them. Grow in them. Learn them. Verse 8, he then adds again, but beloved, do not forget. Warren Wearsby writes, be not, mind, do, be not forgetful. Don't forget things. Don't forget. Don't forget how God is outside time and space. Don't forget this. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. We need to be diligent. You need to diligently look at how you're living, what you're doing. I have to be diligent on the most part for making sure that I am trusting Him and that I'm getting in the Word. And you go, Bob, you teach all the time. I'm telling you, I have to make that time. And listen, there are times when I just don't want to read. It could be days. But I have to be diligent to get back into the Scriptures because this is where my foundations are. This gets me back in a, in a, in a, in a, in a sound mind. And I'm assuming that all of you struggle as well. You know? Just the hardest thing is opening. It's like the hardest thing... I'll, I'll point out one person. I won't tell you who that person is. But she came to study. It's a woman. She came to study and she said, I just needed to be here. I don't, I don't know. But the hardest thing is getting there. Once you get there, hardest thing is opening it. Once you set the time to open it, man, it just comes alive. He wants to speak to us. He wants to help us. So be diligent. Keep your focus on him. And in verse 17, therefore, beloved, be aware. Beware. Beware. You're a Christian. People want to trip your mind up that you have to work to please God. You've got to do all these things to please God. You need to be in your Bible to read, to, you know, to, to show. No, you don't. You know, beware of the things that are going to trip you up. He just loves you. He loves us. I mean, you look at these scriptures and you go, wow, he is really good. And he's coming back for me. Even though I'm a knucklehead, he's coming back for me still. I need to be reminded of that. It doesn't say, if you act accordingly, he'll return for you. It says, no, it says he's coming back. 
because I believe. It's wonderful to, to have that pressure off. He's coming back. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Okay, grow in grace. Grow in his grace towards you and grow in grace that you give to other people. Like I sometimes, man, I used to be, uh, I used to be uh, quite dictatorial in my thinking about, you know, we need to do this on time and this time and people late. No, you can't be late. And, you know, there was, there was an example this morning. It was like someone was late and it's like, yeah, it's okay. And that's how God, you know, God wants us to be on time, but things happen. It's like, okay. And I, I, I think I've grown a little bit, but we need to grow in grace, receiving his grace and grace towards others, because that's what God's like. And grow in the knowledge of Jesus, knowing him more, which is how the chapter, the book started. The, you know, Peter writes, he starts and finishes with knowing God. How good is that? He's not sitting there going, you need to do this, this, and just get to know him more. Know him more, what he's like. Know that when you stuff up, you can be forgiven because he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Like, he makes it so easy for us. And the more we get to know him, the more we experience him, it's just wonderful. You know, the last thing you want to do is get to heaven and go, oh, is that what you're like? Seriously, is that what you're like? It's like, you're exactly who I thought you'd be because you're exactly who you're showing me all my days of my life. It's so wonderful to see you face to face. You know, and then he's going to take that hand and wipe away all our tears. And we've all got tears. That's how he is. He's gentle, he's nice, he's calm. He's beautiful to us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are just so much different than we are. But help us, Lord, to know you more. Help us to grow in your grace. Help us to take on board the things that we learn, both as a community of believers, but also individually when we spend time with you. Um, Lord, we so much, so much long to see you. And we thank you for the promise that you're coming back for us. So we pray the Lord as, you, as we go forward in the week, be with us. Um, help us to see you in the steps that we take. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.